up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with another pod. I gotta say, this is more of a light week, to be honest. Nothing like major blockbuster this week. To be fair, some stuff I'm enthusiastic about, but nothing too exciting. We'll get into Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 2 on Disney+, Plus, as well as albums from JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown, Jisoo of Blackpink's solo debut, Larry June and the Alchemist collab album, and Chloe Bailey's solo debut. So some significant albums plus a Star Wars TV show. And then next week, of course, some bigger hitters like a Ray Schremert album, a Mario movie, a Ben Affleck and Matt Damon movie, some, you know, more exciting stuff. But make sure you subscribe, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod, linktree.com slash nostalgiapod, follow the best of 2023 Spotify playlist, check the link or description below. And yeah, let me know what's good. All right, let's get into it. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Danny Brown and JPEG Mafia's collab album, Scaring the Hose. This actually came out uh, two weeks ago. I want to circle back on it because I'm a big fan of both JPEG and Danny. And I think this is a really significant rap release, right? JPEG Mafia is one of the most exciting, eclectic, independent, underground, alternative hip-hop figures we have right now. And Danny Brown is... Peggy's forefather in that regard. They're kind of a match made in heaven in terms of collaboration, in terms of something that just makes sense. And, you know, I think it's a really fun idea. And of course, the album title, Scaring the Hose, is a hilarious joke that's a really funny play on, of course, the type of music they make and how non traditional and radio leaning it is. So I really like that kind of. Uh, attitude and ability to laugh at themselves that they're immediately bringing to a project like this. And I got to say, you know, Scaring the Hose, 14 songs, 36 minutes. It's pretty good. You know, Peggy produced the entire thing, which I think just really speaks to, once again, what makes him such an exciting talent in hip-hop. The fact that he is a awesome rapper who also sings, and he sings a bit on this album, and he can produce. And not just like he produces, but like he's like a good producer. There's layered production all over this cool samples again kind of in that danny brown uh, mold of course danny brown famous for spending seventy thousand dollars on samples for atrocity exhibition you know several years ago at this point peggy though is really one of those do-it-all figures in hip-hop and if there's one critique i would have with his production on this i think sometimes the mix the audio mix is a little off to me because it's like such like like cool production. There's just a lot going on with a lot of these beats. Sometimes I feel like the vocals are a little hard to make out. You know, Danny and Peggy sometimes can be like a bit guttural in their delivery. And Danny especially, of course, you know, he's a unique nasally voice as it is, and he can really like get into it, you know. And I think sometimes it's a little bit hard to hear. But other than that, I thought the beats were really cool and then just like kind of going through it i mean all these song tra uh, title tracks or uh, the, the track titles are just hilarious names you know stuff like perfect and fentanyl tester and jack harlow combo meal the list goes on they're funny names one called run the jewels you know i love it um i would say my favorite songs would be god loves you um that one just goes hard as hell orange juice jones is cool because i think peggy sounds great singing on that again he's a bit of a multi-talented guy um and yeah i think like that whole back half really from orange juice jones on down sounds really good red veil makes a nice impression as a guest there 
you know, rising talent. He's significantly younger than these dudes, but he's a really exciting rapper in his own regard. Um, yeah, I think just like the layeredness of all this, like really, really got to me. So just kind of a quick hit there. I think, I think Burfix another good one. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Like when I heard the lead single lean beef patty, it was like kind of light on Danny. And I was like, huh, I wonder if there's enough room for both of them to coexist. I think largely they do coexist, but I would probably lean to this being more of a Peggy project first. And then Danny's kind of like in support of Peggy on this, which I don't think is a, a bad thing at all. So I would definitely recommend it. JPEG Mafia, Danny Brown, Scaring the Hose. But let me know, what did you think of this album? Did this excite you as an idea like it did for me? And how did you feel about that execution? And for more rap reviews, subscribe, and I'll see you next time. All right, now let's move on to the Alchemist and Larry June's collab album. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Larry June and the Alchemist's collab album, The Great Escape. You know, I think Larry June is someone who's been kind of a rising artist in hip-hop for several years at this point. Now he's put out a lot of music. He's kind of had a really, found a second life for himself, becoming a more independent uh, rapper, and linking up with someone like The Alchemist. Of course, needs who needs no introduction, who's been on quite the run himself. Alchemist making tons of noise with his collab albums recently. You know, of course, working with Freddie Gibbs, and of course, Rock Marciano album last year, which is a critical acclaim. Larry June, though, linking up with Alchemist, bit unexpected, I have to say. Larry June, of course, is a Bay Area rapper, and the Alchemist does not make hyphy beats. He does not give you that Bay Area bounce that you expect. There's no pilo on this album. It does not sound like that. <laughs> and June is probably a bit better a fit than upon like further inspection, because it's not like Larry June's other music was super hyphy bass shit it was more like post hyphy bay influence so in that regard someone as talented as the alchemist is at producing you can kind of find a a lane for them to match with but they both said they had some reservations about whether it could work out but i think it does work out in terms of a fit you know alchemist of course you know can layer on those glitzy piano keys he can really i think kind of weave these soundscapes and has moved beyond just being someone who's like a New York classicist producer. He's a lot more than that at this point, even if that's kind of what people would still think of him first. That being said, I think Larry June is kind of like an acquired taste. Like he's a specific style of rapper. He's kind of like layback vibe storyteller rapper. Now, because of that, that means that he doesn't have like the highest energy level and at times that can sound a bit bit monotone or at least a bit like staid in, in terms of the tempo. And even with as lush production as you get from someone like The Alchemist, to me, Larry June, as, the, as a rapper, he, like sometimes the songs just aren't there in terms of his performance, at least for my personal taste. He's a good rapper. He's a good storyteller. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes the delivery, I think, it's just a bit wanting to me and that's kind of how i felt about his music throughout all of this and that's why i think you know like when you have someone who's a bit more stripped back and laid back and not as like in your face with the bay production as a, a bay rapper like larry june is i don't know like i think this is just kind of how it's gonna go sometimes you know thankfully there's some really nice features on the great escape which is pretty short 15 songs 45 minutes uh, action bronson sounded awesome on solid planets probably my favorite song on this Action, of course, knows Alchemist production well. That's no surprise. But the issue is, like, Action 
is just like a much more like engaging and like ear grabbing rapper because of all the quirks that come with action bronson i feel like larry june kind of gets left behind on a song like that palisades california big sean feature actually pretty pretty good from big sean you know it's it's big sean doing the sean stuff but like he sounds pretty like matter of fact and introspective it's actually a pretty good fit for how larry june likes the rap larry june of course is someone who will get materialistic but will also really preach about like business practice and um you know investing in oneself and one's future so that was actually like a pretty solid collab between larry june's subject matter and like late period big sean's like third eye subject matter so i thought that was pretty cool uh bully james sounds great of course him and alchemist have quite a rich history as well uh the Wiz feature is kind of unexpected it's nothing special but like i'm just happy to hear Wiz like rapping at this point um my guy joy badass is on here currency another alchemist collab uh here as well overall like i said i think Larry June can like kind of fall into like his patterns and fall into his pockets and just like get a bit, a bit monotone and a bit low energy for me. And it's distracting because he is a good storyteller, but yeah. So I thought ultimately the great is just okay. I wouldn't stack this up against some of the great alchemist collabs we've gotten recently, like Alfredo or the elephant man's bones, but that's okay. And Larry June, makes a lot of music and he's definitely a rising talent and it's really cool that he's found like the second wave of his career and found some success and be able to make something work at least tangentially with someone as esteemed as the alchemist so you can't be too critical i suppose but let me know how did you feel about this larry june and alchemist album did it meet expectations were you a bit let down like me and for more rap reviews subscribe and i'll see you next time all right now let's move on to jisoo's solo debut me what's up welcome back to nostalgia dave here with a review of jisoo's solo debut single album me jisoo of course one fourth of blackpink the biggest girl group in the world the k-pop superstars that they are we just got the born pink blackpink album last fall which we reviewed on this show youtube.com slash nostalgia pod but jisoo despite being the oldest member of blackpink is the only member who had not released any solo material to this point which i think had been a bit disappointing for fans you know, the Jenny solo song, Solo, came out way back in 2018, and Jenny's been performing an unreleased song, solo song, You and Me, on this Born Pink tour all year. Of course, Lisa's two solo songs came out in 2022 and were huge hits, especially Money, which was a big TikTok hit, and Rosé released two solo songs in 2021 and had a solo song, Hard to Love, on Born Pink. So, like, Jisoo had been kind of left behind in this regard. Not that she hadn't been up to stuff. Of course, she you know, acted in a big K-drama and like the other girls had been you know, a huge like, member of the fashion industry lately in terms of an ambassador for brands and whatnot. But it did kind of feel like YG had dropped the ball with not getting the Jisoo solo stuff out ahead of this Born Pink World Tour because Jisoo's been performing her solo set, but she doesn't have a song to perform. She's been performing Camila Cabello's Liar instead, a cover. And that's been received pretty well, but surely Jisoo could bring one of her own songs to the table at this point. And thankfully, she's finally released something. Two songs, you know, like Blackpink does, like these whole releases do. Not a lot of music, but you take what you can get with Blackpink. Jisoo dropped Flower and All Eyes on Me. Flower has a music video out. So, you know, I think it's only two songs, right? So it's it's not a whole lot to 
kind of delve into, but Flower, which is I think started the takeoff here over 20 million on Spotify so far, got that video, which has been obviously rapturously streamed by the Blinks. Flower feels almost like of a piece with Camila Cabello's Liar. Kind of makes sense why that's the, the cover Jisoo picked. Flower has like you know has that snappy melody, but that melody is almost like a Latin inspired melody. You know, shout out Camilla. And it feels, I think, fitting for 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 someone like Jisoo to, you know, fit with. Jisoo, of course, is one of the two core vocalists on Blackpink, but she largely p- plays in support of the other Blackpink vocalists on the Blackpink songs, right? Jenny and Lisa clearly were the stars of Born Pink, at least the stars of the biggest songs of Born Pink. And Jisoo, despite being a strong vocalist herself, she never really like carry many of the Blackpink songs, and it's not necessarily her fault. Of course, she's not writing those songs. And this time around, she's working with the same people. Of course, Teddy Park wrote and produced these two songs for Jisoo here. And it's nice to hear Jisoo doing something that's just all her and like leaning into her strengths, you know? And I think Flower's probably the song that's gained the most acclaim. But to me, I actually think All Eyes on Me is a bit a bit catchier. Um, I think that's kind of obvious. It's more a dance pop song. It's a poppier song. has a higher tempo, a much, uh, I think, catchier melody, especially the kind of like build up to that chorus and that drop. It's honestly pretty familiar with some of the big Blackpink hits, those big Blackpink singles. And that's a song that I think will really hit when it's performed live. Um, but yeah, ultimately at the end of the day, it's still only two songs, right? So... I guess when you stack it up, right, you had Rose's solo songs. You know, one of them was leaning a bit almost alternative inspired, you know, leaning into the fact that Rose likes to play guitar, you know, felt like her. And uh, the Lisa solo songs leaning into that dance a little bit with a song like La Lisa and, of course, Money, you know. This feels like what Jisoo should be doing, you know, as someone who's a pure vocalist first, you know, and I think. The fact that she can kind of lean into that falsetto and give you something that's a bit uh, snappy, but not necessarily like like huge in your face the way Flower is, that seems to really be resonating with people. Um, of course, I would love more music for all of them. That's I feel like that's going to continue to be the case. But at this point, we'll probably get the official release of the Jenny song "You and Me" next, and then who knows what's up with Blackpink from there. But uh, let me know how'd you feel about Jisoo's long-awaited solo debut me which song do you like more i feel like i'm in the minority with liking all eyes on me more but let me know and for more k-pop and music reviews subscribe and i'll see you next time all right now let's move on to chloe bailey's solo debut album in pieces what's up welcome back to nostalgia dave here with a review of chloe bailey's debut solo album in pieces of course chloe bailey one half of the r&b duo chloe and Haley. chloe and Haley have you know, gone solo musically, at least a little bit right now. Haley is more into the acting side of things at the moment, of course, about to star in Little Mermaid for Disney, the live action remake coming out next month. And of course, will be the Color Purple musical at the end of the year, which will probably be a big Oscar contender. So she hasn't really dived into the solo music career necessarily, whereas Chloe has dived full in. And it is, I think, clear that the sisters are trying to make their own identities, despite the fact that when they're together they've had a lot of great success of course their most recent album 2020's ungodly hour 
was Grammy nominated and, and critically adored. At this point, though, you know, the solo venture for Chloe, it's clearly still a work in progress. I think that's kind of evident, the fact that the original solo tracks that she released, like the lead solo singles, are not even on this solo debut album in pieces. They're not even here, you know? And what you get, I think, is a pretty solid record in pieces, but it's not special. It's not, like, ear-grabbing in any way. You know, R&B is, a, I think, a really competitive space at this point, especially female-driven R&B. Lest we forget, SZA's SOS was number one for 10 weeks. Um, it's a competitive field. And Chloe, I think, while she has clearly the vocal strength, you know, coming up in the church, her and her sister being Beyonce protégés, there's a lot of pedigree here and a lot of natural ability. But the songwriting so far is pretty generic, pretty standard. I say that that's bad. I like I like some of these songs. I think in particular, "Body Do" is pretty undeniable. Like bop like that is the best song on this album it's 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 a banger but when he put the whole album together it's a bit generic in terms of like you know having being wronged by men and whether are you gonna get your payback you know are you gonna go to church are you gonna shake that ass familiar subject matter nothing wrong with that subject matter but i just don't know if the songwriting necessarily elevates any of it beyond being what it is so for me, it's just kind of pulling away a few songs. I think Pray It Away is pretty fun for the uh, church kind of flair he got there. I mentioned Body Do. I think I Don't Mind is pretty good, these first three right in a row here. Um, I like Cheat Back for Chloe's performance. Then you kind of get Future tacked on the end there to like kind of put the thematic uh, thing full circle. But I think Chloe sounds pretty good on that one. Um, yeah, like those are those are my favorite songs here. Uh, I don't mind as well. Um, the thing, though, is like from there, it's just kind of a bit like, yeah, that's a pretty okay song. You know, you have a really inspired, uh, you know, challenging choice to make a song with Chris Brown. You have, of course, that single, How Does It Feel, featuring him. And not that Chloe's alone in collaborating with Chris Brown recently. Many of her peers have been doing this, but like it's uninspired for a few reasons. It's just kind of cynical. Uh, Chris Brown hasn't made good music recently. Of course, all the controversies you have with him. But whether you think that's a good idea or not to work with him, it's not a good song anyway. They don't have any chemistry. It's pretty pretty bland, you know? The fact that she hasn't talked about the song at all in the promo, I think it speaks for itself. Um, yeah. The Missy Elliott feature, told you, it's kind of wasted. You know, nothing special there. So... I, I like Chloe as a vocalist. It's clear the talent's there. Like you don't just like become a Beyonce protege out of any reason other than the fact that you're good. Uh, she is good, and her and her sister were really good together. You know, kind of weaving melodies in terms of fun and engaging production. I feel like those inspired production choices are not really here on in pieces. Uh, Chloe's young, 24 years old, still finding that identity as a soloist. I think it's totally okay that she doesn't know exactly what her sound is yet. There's nothing wrong with that. Talent's there, and you still get like huge gems once in a while, like a song like Body Do. So I think that's a, it's a good foundation, and I'm hoping to hear more uh, in the future, hear more improvement, and I, and I would expect we would. Um, and I'm sure the sisters will get back together at some point as well, and probably even f find newer heights together. But 
yeah, how'd you feel about Chloe's debut album? Were you let down like me? Did you like it a lot? And for more R&B, more pop, more music reviews, subscribe. And I'll see you next time. What's up? Welcome back to Nostalgia. Dave here with a review of Star Wars The Bad Batch Season 2. The full season out now on Disney+. Plus. Pretty good season. Had a good time with it. You know, I think The Bad Batch, it's not the most consequential Star Wars show we get every year. Obviously, the live-action shows get more attention. but Bad Batch is another solid, I think, enjoyable entry in the Star Wars animated history and stable that we've had for several years at this point. And I think it largely does a good job at its key goal. And I think as long as you understand what the, like, the goals of this show are, then you can probably enjoy it. Bad Batch is really just kind of coloring in the Star Wars lore and is like one of those like for the fan shows. You know, it's not going to be the most moving show there is, although I thought there was plenty of emotional resonance in season two. You have to kind of almost be excited about this show weaving in various Star Wars stories and filling stuff in that doesn't necessarily need to be filled in to most people. But for people that are interested in it, they'll enjoy this quite a bit. You know, um, I think the show is pretty successful in that regard. Now, 16 episodes some of these episodes I think are really thrilling and moving, the ones that are much more serialized and pushing the plot forward. You also have these more traditional episodes, the more uh, case of the week, mission of the week stuff. Now, where the plot ended up with the Batch being betrayed by Sid, they'll probably stop running missions for her, and maybe season three is the final season. It's a really like plot-heavy season, the way Rebels wrapped up with season three. Who can say? I'm certainly rooting for that, but even the more, you know, casual stuff, the one-off episodes, I think are a lot of fun. You get, you know, like something cool, like Gunji, the Wookiee Padawan from Clone Wars coming back, surviving Order 66. Do we need to know about Gunji's fate? Of course not, but it's just cool to spend time with that. That being said, I think the more consequential stuff uh, really stood out to me. So early on, we had episode three, the solitary clone. I thought that was a really strong episode, you know, bringing back Commander Cody, seeing Cody go AWOL and Crosshair start the question of the Empire. I think that was a really impactful episode and really tied into some of the other uh, key themes that continued throughout the season. You know, episode seven and eight, you know, the clone conspiracy and truth and consequences. That whole arc about what's going to happen to the clones, what is the Empire going to do about the clones, having a senator, senator pushing for clone rights. That is like a cool piece of star wars history star wars lore for people that are into it you know similar to season one kind of giving you resolution on what happened to the camino it's what happened to camino again it's not like the most crazy thing to answer or explain but you're just getting it explained it is just fun to spend time uh in that little piece of the star wars world you know seeing massa Meda moving around the senate i'm here for stuff like that it's cool uh i thought Episode 12, The Outpost. That's probably the episode of the season. You know, that's where Crosshair goes on a mission to a frozen world. And that's where he fully breaks bad from his allegiances with the Empire. You know, I want to shout out my friend Steve, who compared that episode favorably to Zuko alone from Avatar The Last Airbender. I think that's a really astute comp in terms of what narratively that episode is serving for Crosshair. So that was really effective. Uh, loved that. 
Uh, it was cool to see Clone Commandos. It was cool to see the Zillow Beast come back in. You know, and I think a bit of uh, unexpected synergy between the Bad Batch Season 2 and the Mandalorian Season 3. You know, seeing kind of both sides of the coin, but seeing, like, the Empire's and Palpatine's, like, contingency plans and, like, the lead-up to the First Order, interest in cloning, the Strandcasts, Snoke, all that stuff is almost being, like, colored in and set up on these two shows. Not the primary focus of either show, but it's, like, a, it's, a, it's an aspect of both those shows, you know? Who would have thought that we would have the sequel trilogy gaps be filled in by the Mandalorian Bad Batch? I wasn't necessarily expecting that to happen, but it, it's, it is kind of cool to see that, you know? In terms of our actual characters here, you know, I think you get a lot of uh, growth from the Omega character as she has like grown up and matured a bit. Omega, I think, is is a stronger, more well rounded character, more fun to be with in season two, which is kind of common. You expect that we know with child characters in general, it's animated, whether it's live action, whatever it is, it's it's common to expect uh, child characters to take a little time to find themselves. Also, the batch themselves, you know. Echo leaving and kind of having different priorities than the rest of the squad was interesting. And they did a really good job with tech in terms of making him a bit more than just this, you know, nerdy archetype. You know, it's kind of teasing romance, him starting to see things in a different way. And they really make you hit that in the finale when, you know, spoilers, you know, tech seemingly falls to his death and dies, sacrificing himself for the squad. That was a really moving moment. You know, shout out tech, RP tech, plan 99. If he is, in fact, dead, I think it was a really effective sacrifice, you know. You had Dr. Hemlock, the villain, show his crumbled glasses. They were barely crumbled, though. Is that supposed to suggest that Tech didn't really die? I'm not going to be shocked if they bring him back to life. Maybe Saw Guerrero saved him or something. I don't know. But I think they should kind of keep him dead. It's like a really effective death. I'd support that. But I wouldn't be shocked if he comes back. Um, I thought the stuff on Pabu was pretty cool, pretty interesting, just kind of different vibe. Seeing the Batch just be out of their element or out of, out of the normal element and doing different stuff is fun. Um, you got the Krennic cameo at the end, of course, Saw as well. Enjoyable. Yeah, like I said, ultimately, filling in the lore is fun. I enjoy the hang with with the guys. This is not a show that really has the means to reach the highs of Rebels or Clone Wars, but I think that's okay. Like, it's just kind of a show we vibe with, we enjoy um, now, before we know it, you know, we have Star Wars Celebration end of the week. I assume they'll announce Bad Batch Season 3 officially at that time. It isn't yet announced at the time of recording, but I think that's a pretty safe bet. And before we know it in May, uh, Star Wars Visions Season 2, the anime series, will be back. Can't wait for that. And of course, Mandalorian's still on. We'll get Ahsoka in the fall. Skeleton Crew's been filmed. The Acolyte is uh, in production right now. Star Wars on TV is very strong, very healthy. You know, the movie's... We're still waiting, you know, Stephen Knight recently attached to the film Dame Lindelof left, Lucasfilm again rolling through directors on the film front, uh, we only can wait with bated breath for something to actually move across the finish line, but TV is at least, I think, scratching the itch, and The Bad Batch helps a lot in that regard, but let me know, how'd you feel about The Bad Batch Season 2? Did you think it was better than Season 1? I did, for sure, and what are you most looking forward to seeing in Season 3? And for more Star Wars, more movies, more TV, subscribe, and I'll see you next time.